Well, we are right in the middle. Uh, we took a break last week to celebrate our 25th anniversary, and what an amazing service we had last week. But we, we took a break right in the middle of our sanctification series. So when I say sanctification, and this is what we'll be talking about this morning, Pastor Kevin will be preaching uh, in my absence next Sunday on this same subject, and then the week after that, we'll be preaching one more final time on sanctification. So when I say sanctification, how many people is this, and I would suspect this is 75% of our congregation. Let's see how good I am. How many would say this is a familiar concept? You've at least heard the term sanctification before. Okay, uh, and I should be more specific. I'm referring to the doctrine of sanctification. I think probably a lot of us have heard the term sanctity, sanctifying, sanctification. But in terms of doctrine of sanctification, how many people would this be brand new for? Never heard the doctrine of sanctification explained. All right, okay. So my percentages was off. About 90% of us are, and these are arbitrary stats that I'm making up on the spot. Um, about, about 90. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't trust my math, Tom. Uh, all but four of us, okay, whatever that percentage is says that we have some understanding of sanctification, but four of us don't. You know, it would be good even for a little bit of review. And so the last time um, that we talked, we talked about new birth, about how the Spirit of God gives us through the work of Christ and in the mercy of the Father, gives us new birth. Well, today I want to talk about new clothes. But first, to just maybe explore the doctrine of entire sanctification, the way that it's worded by the Church of the Nazarene in their manual. Carson, I think I have this up here. Yes. Here's what they say they believe. They put a a qualifier in front of sanctification. They talk about, they meaning us, the Nazarenes talk about entire sanctification. We believe, they say, entire sanctification is that act of God. Subsequent to regeneration, that's the new birth, that's a fancy word for new birth. Uh, uh, Regeneration, I don't know what that is. Uh, (laughs) But whoever typed that, man, must have a really hard time with grammar and spelling. I don't know who that would be. Uh, I wrote this, I'm so sorry. Subsequent to re, that's supposed to be re, you can make fun of me, it's okay, I have thick enough skin for that. Subsequent to regeneration, that's the new birth, by which believers are made free from original sin or depravity or brought into a state of entire devotement to God and the holy obedience of love made perfect. We believe the entire sanctification is that act of God subsequent to regeneration by which believers are made free from original sin and total depravity and brought into a state of entire devotement to God and the holy obedience of love made perfect. Is this possible? Is this possible? Is this just a bunch of professors, a bunch of pastors that got together and used really big words and made it sound fancy? But is the application of being sanctified, is it possible? Is it biblical? 
Is it applicable in today's world, in a world gone so dark? Just want to flip briefly to 1 Thessalonians, where we hear, hear a command from, from Pastor Paul, really, about what he desires for the church. And I say that, and I've totally lost my reference. Just know that Pastor Paul, <laughs> it's in there, I promise. <laughs> oh boy, vacation is just in an hour. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you think, yeah, just go, man. Just leave. Uh, that, Jesus, that Paul says, sanctify Make holy your heart. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. But it is not just the act of allowing the Lord into our heart to sanctify our heart, to set it apart, to make it holy. But is it possible to live that way? To live in such a way that these big, nasty, scary words like depravity, darkness, sin, Don't take precedent over our actions, over our behavior, over our mindset, over our thoughts. Is it possible to live like light in the middle of a world that's dark? Have you guys ever gone on a YouTube, like a a YouTube rabbit hole, where you start with one video, and then the next thing you know, you're in a real dark place, and you don't know how you got there. (laughs) I I was on YouTube the other day, and uh, my friend from Hawaii called. We're, uh, we're five hours apart between us and Hawaii. So I'll uh, let you do the math. But he calls me at 7 p.m. And he says, 7 p.m. his time. He says, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, man, I'm, I'm on YouTube. I can't stop. <laughs> and Eric says to me, oh, dude, you're in a dark place. <laughs> So you spend too much time on YouTube, you're in a dark hole. One of my favorite YouTube clips, I just want to let you know, it's an hour before I leave on vacation, so I'm sharing my vacation joy with you. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's one of my favorite YouTube clips. I may or may not have watched it on my binge of YouTube two weeks ago when Eric called me, but this is called Scarlet Takes a Tumble. If you've uh, never seen this video, you are welcome. Welcome to joy in your life. Uh, if you have seen it, welcome to church. You can laugh. It's okay to laugh here. Here is uh, Carson. Do we have that? Here, Scarlet takes a tumble. Bob's bank. No, I can't tell. Bob's bank. Maybe in time you can win. Thank <laughs> you. 
we'll stop the misery there. That is Scarlet takes a tumble. Um, 30 million people have watched her take a tumble. Um, YouTube. You ever been on a YouTube hunt deep into the rabbit hole of it coming across video? It usually starts with videos like Scarlet takes a tumble and then you begin to click the sidebar of videos and before you know it, you're in a dark, you can be in a dark place. Um, being in dark places, of course, is probably what how Sarah Courtney described in her prayer, probably how a lot of us feel coming out of this week, right? Not so much the humor of a YouTube chase of funny videos, but in real life coming out of events um, like the news that broke Monday morning. You know, for, for me, and of course I'm referring specifically to the tragedy in Las Vegas, I don't know about you, but for me, it was almost too much emotions to experience within a 12-hour span of being so excited for what I felt like. And if you're new to our congregation this morning, this won't make any sense to you, so don't even listen to it. But for those that aren't new, the joy in healing that took place in the sanctuary a week ago, for a lot of us, will be on different stages of that. Some of us, a new story began last week of the healing that happened in the sanctuary being reunited with family over the course of 25 years. Of course, our story, we don't need to talk about it. We don't need need to get into the details of it, but it is good to name it. Our story includes divorce. It includes affairs. It includes brokenness. It includes running pastors off. It includes making people angry and frustrated and mad. Welcome to New Beginnings Church. That's our history. It can be a pretty dark story. Last week, we gathered in the sanctuary and we began to redeem that story. And redemption takes place not by forgetting the hurts that happened, but by starting the story over in 1992 and reworking all of those stories and weaving God's forgiveness and grace back into all those stories. That's how forgiveness works. It doesn't forget it, it redeems it. Last week, some of us, Because I got texts from you and phone calls from you and emails from you. Some of you this week feel like that was accomplished for you. That being in the center uh, of this space in worship with people that caused you hurt, that you found forgiveness last week. I feel like redemption's at work in all of us. Some of us are there. That's a full story of redemption. Others, that story just began, and last week was pretty raw, and it was hard for you to be in the same place and see old, familiar faces, and your redemption story began last week. Either way, it's a good day. (laughs) It's a good day. Either you're celebrating the victory, or you're just beginning your journey into what one day will be victory. Either way, What we celebrated last week, I feel like, is a milestone in the life of New Beginnings Church. And uh, in some ways, it feels like a brand new day. And you got to imagine, as your pastor, who's just getting to know you, I had no idea. I had no idea you would be who you are. I wouldn't want you any differently. I love you. But for 15 months, I've been discovering who you are. And I've been thinking, oh, man. You all have some work to do in your past. And so we orchestrated an event in which you had to face your past physically, literally. And people showed up, 228 people showed up last week. 
you got to know that when I went to bed last week, I was excited, not because I thought every single one of you loved it. No, I watched people walk out in the middle of the service. I understand that it was hard for some people. But I was excited that I feel like, ooh, grace is at work reworking and retelling your story. I was so excited. Oh, okay, enough of that. But then like you, I don't know what time it was for you. For me, I slept in on Monday, so it was a little later. Um, I woke up to my wife saying, have you heard about Las Vegas? And it was almost, Ron, it was almost too much emotions for me. Here I was, and the optimism swept up in what God's redeeming work is doing, the new birth, the new life we're experiencing at New Beginnings Church. And then to wake up and face, uh, what would you call it? Terrorism seems to be too much of a, too much controversy around that word. Would you call it evil? Evil. Is it possible to live like that definition from the church of the Nazarene? To be brought into an entire state of devotement. To be made free from evil. Because when you experience days like Sunday, it makes you say, yeah, you know what? That's kind of possible. Then when you experience days like Monday, it makes days like Sunday seem so trivial. If I could just be honest, it makes it seem like what we do in here doesn't matter at all. And so... An honest question. Liz, is it possible? Is it possible to live a life where the chapters, the pages of your life aren't just so mucked up and scribbled with sin and darkness? Not for any of you, I would suspect, but for some people in this world to live a life that isn't marked by evil, just downright corruption. Is it possible for God's grace to heal that? The metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses, and this reference I do have, I won't bumble this one, okay? I don't think. The metaphor that Apostle Paul uses is the metaphor of clothing. I just want us to lean into this just briefly this morning. To how Paul uses this terminology of new clothes. And then I want you to ask the question, the same question I've been asking this week as I've been preparing this in light of Las Vegas. You know, our church goes as far as to say that one can live their life free of sin. Wrestle with that now. That's why we've planned this week so we can wrestle with what the Church of the Nazarene believes when it says entire sanctification. It's its hallmark doctrine. It's what sets us apart from the Church of Christ just down the street here. What sets us apart is that we believe we can live a sin-free life. So I want to know, is that really possible? Is that, I know, Rochelle, I like the face you're giving me. Because I think that's 
right? That's the face we should be given. Like, ah, I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know if I can go all the way there. Let's explore it. I'm not going to try to convince you. I just want to show you worship at the Church of the Nazarene. We'll try to do my best to be faithful to the doctrine of the Church of the Nazarene. But you don't have to buy it. It's okay. You can still go to heaven and not buy the Church of the Nazarene. It's okay. It's all right. We're just, we're Christians on the journey, right? We're just exploring, all right? Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And if I say anything that sounds like I should be fired, because it just blame it, it's vacation starts soon. Just blame it on that, okay? <laughs> Colossians chapter 3. Since you've been raised to new life, this is the concept, Carrie, of new birth that we were talking about a couple weeks ago. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. That's the first time when I was reading the text on Tuesday morning, to be precise, that I asked the question, is that possible? What does it mean to think on the things of heaven? Is it possible to think on the things of heaven and not on the things of earth? For you died to this life, and your, li- and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So, here's where it gets interesting, folks. So put to death earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Is that possible? Don't be greedy. (laughs) Is that possible? For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. See, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator, and become like him. Put on, this is the beginning of his clothing metaphor. Strip off that which is old and put on your new nature and be renewed. As you learn to know your creator, oh man, and become like him. Is it possible Is it possible to become like the breath that was breathed into this dust? Is it possible for me to know my heavenly father in such a way that claims my identity as child and not as some earthly being bent towards evil, but is it possible for me, not just spiritually, man, I'm talking like if we have faith, I believe that my physical body is connected to the breath of God. Is it possible for me to live with my fingers and my feet, to live Injustice, like my father lives in justice. 
Is it possible for me to do what is right, not just in church on Sunday mornings, but is it possible for me to do what is right when things in Lee Summit or Raytown or Independence or Overland Park, wherever you may be, where that is so horribly wrong, is it possible for me to dress myself in the image of the one I was created like? Verse 11, in this new life, oh man, Nathan, this is where it gets like super good. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. So he's naming all of the ethnic and racial barriers in his day and the social statuses that would divide people. We would use different terms, but know that he hits all of the big ones. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. This is a quick point on this verse. When we are renewed in Christ, it is not as if God does not see the diversity in which he's created his creation. It's not as if there suddenly is now no longer male nor female, as if God doesn't know gender. Or as if now there's no white and there's no black, as if God doesn't see color. No, part of the beauty of God's creation is that God does see all of the colors. See, part of the beauty of God's creation is that God sees all of the genders. And could it be possible that in Christ we embrace diversity without building division? That we can sit in the same room as the left side and as the right side. As the one political party and the opposite political party. Is it possible we could sit in the same room with one color of race and the opposite color of race? In a world and culture that tells us we have to divide ourselves against one another. But in Christ, knowing the image of the one in which we were created, knowing the dust or knowing the breath that breathed into this dust, knowing to whom we belong, and being renewed in the likeness of the one to whom we belong, being renewed in the likeness of that as a child that belongs to his father, is it possible for us to embrace diversity and to avoid division? I will tell you, Olivia, Only by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is that possible. Since God chose you to be the holy people, he loves you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you like your pastor on the eve of vacation. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 
above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds all of us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Clothing defines us, does it not? Clothing says something about you. It says something about your social status. Or it might say something about your day job. (laughs) Clothing will tell you about your taste in fashion. If you have a taste or if you don't have a taste for fashion. Clothing says something to you. Oh, I should say this. I didn't put this in my notes. But clothing got Nathan a job. When Nathan was applying for, I didn't ask him for this permission, so I hope it's, oh, he gives me a thumbs up. He jokes about it when I wear that little tweed jacket of mine, the only blazer coat that I have. I wear it every fall. I almost wore it today, but I didn't. I wear it every fall. I love it. Nathan comes up to me and says, hey, I have an interview at Lee Summit North for the library. Could I wear your jacket? I said, oh, yeah. I love this thing. I gave him the jacket. I don't know what it said to you that morning, but it may have said something to you as you were putting it on, and maybe you were tugging the lapels like I do, and I, I, I like the little pads. The coat, the, coat, the coat is too small for me. So the pads, like, next time I wear it, look, the pads are up here on my mind. You know? But I like the coat. I wear it. And I wonder if you, Nathan, if you didn't tug on the coat and you said, hey, I look like I'm going to get a job today. And you said you had something else with the outfit. It was a, it was a tie, a skinny, a vintage tie from the 70s, right? The, your dad's tie. Clothing says something to us. When we put whatever it is on that we like to wear, Or that we think, hey, I look kind of good in this black sweater. Oh, I like this. It says something to us. Clothing may say something about the weight that we've lost. Or if you're like me and you put on that black sweater, it may say something about the weight you've gained. Um, Clothing says and speaks not only to whom we are, but it speaks directly to us in clothing, like a firefighter's outfit or a doctor's coat or the policeman's blue suit. They shape us and our identity. When Roger wakes up and he puts on his State Farm shirt, farmers, not State Farm, come on, easy now, easy! Clothing clothing tells you to whom you belong and to whom you do not belong. It shapes us. I'm a farmer's man. I'm sure he says that every morning too. I'm a farmer's man. But you've given your life to farmer's insurance. In your clothing, in your polos, it reminds you to what you've given your life 
too. Hmm. So I wonder if clothing shapes us, it tells us to whom we belong and to whom we are. This week, I put on mourner's clothes. And I had a black jacket and black tie, dark pants. And I came into this sanctuary and I joined other mourners that looked like mourners, that looked like people coming to a funeral. Every morn, the passing of Cleo's daughter, Denise Smith. Brenda was there. Yeah. And we mourned together. When I put those clothes on in the morning, I knew this is who I am today. And this is the shape that I'm in. I'm in the shape of mourning. I'm being formed as one who cries and laments the sting and pain of death and rejoices in the hope of resurrection. But I've got to wonder, if this is what clothing does, is if it's like a siren sign to other people around us that, oh, Jake is going to mourn. He's in all black. He's in dark clothes. Or if we see the ladies that come with the dark hat and the veil, we know, oh, they've come to mourn. That if clothing, like the farmer's insurance polo or the tweed jacket that Nathan wears to an interview, their clothing speaks to whom we are, to whom we belong, to what we do, like a siren sign to the community, then what does it mean to dress ourselves in the crucified, resurrected power of Jesus Christ? Do you think in the mornings when you get up and you get ready, do you think about putting on the shoes of righteousness and the belt of truth? Do you think about clothing yourselves with the power of the firstborn of all creation? Do you think about it when you get up in the morning that you put on the very one that created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. Do you think about it? That when you get up, that you put on on your clothing the very one who sees all things, that which is visible and that which is invisible. Paul begins his letters in Colossians by proclaiming exactly who Jesus is, that he is the beginning, that he is supreme over all who rise from the dead, that he is first in everything, that he has the very fullness of God dwelling within him, and that through Jesus God reconciled everything to himself, making peace with everything in heaven and everything on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross, that in Jesus all things are reconciled. <laughs> that in Jesus there is power over even evil. That it's possible. That when Jesus lives in the center of our hearts, we'll just use the metaphor of Paul, that when we clothe ourselves with the very power of Christ, that we're clothing ourselves with the power to denounce evil. To not only denounce evil, but to rid ourselves from it. 
to not even have the mind that thinks of it. For see, Christ, who was at the beginning when God breathed all of mercy and all of love and all of forgiveness and all of redemption and all creation, when he breathed it into the earth, Jesus was there making it a reality, making it come to be and come to pass. That even in the light of horrible things like Las Vegas, Jesus is there and alive in spirit working to hold all things together. That when we allow Jesus to live in the very center of our lives, is it possible to live pure, holy, and blameless? Is it possible for the love of Christ to dwell in our hearts when we're so bent towards anger and maliciousness and retaliation? And darkness. Oh, man. I would say, Kevin, that it is possible. Because through Christ, all things are possible. And through Christ, all things have been accomplished. There is no place where Christ has not gone. As far as the east and as far as the west, as far as high as you can go in the heavens and as far low in the depths as you can go, Christ is in all and through all and has covered all. Is it possible to live a life that is holy and blameless as much as it's possible to wake up in the morning and clothe yourselves with Christ and remind yourself you do not belong to farmer's insurance. You belong to the Lord Christ so it's possible because you do not belong to the Saudi Arabia army. Wouldn't that be crazy if we walked in here and we talked about how we belong to the Saudi Arabia army? It'd be ridiculous. We don't belong to them and you don't belong to the American army either. You belong to Christ. It is first in all things. This is who you are. So is it possible Well, this series goes on, and it continues. I hope that I've maybe piqued enough interest that you would have questions for Kevin next week. How? (laughs) Really, how do we do this? Well, I say step one is to wake up tomorrow morning. I just want to say, just backtrack real quick, because I mentioned the military. I have family and dear friends in the military. I would still say to them that what defines them is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you get those things confused, it's, it, it gets mucky if you do that in the professional sports world. It gets mucky if you do that in the church world. I belong to Jesus Christ. I do not belong to the church of the Nazarene. Jesus Christ is my Lord. The denomination is not. It gets mucky when I confuse those things. Just as it gets mucky for you when you go to work for the bank, and you confuse your identity thinking that the bank is your Lord, right? Or if you go to the work for the power line, and you give the power line authority over your life, over and above the Lord, that's where it gets mucky. This is what I was referring to. I have deep respect for those that have chosen to give their life to their occupations, and that includes the military. But the military is not our Lord. That's a difficult statement. I just wanted to clarify that and explain that. Okay. Well, with that... I invite us to wake up tomorrow morning and I I put on my hiker gear to go into Yosemite. Stefan, as you put on your banking gear to go into the bank, could we commit this morning? Now I'm putting you on the spot so you have no other choice. Could we commit this morning 
that we put on Christ. And we allow Christ to form the very steps that we take into the bank, the very steps that I take into the national park tomorrow. That I walk in Christ. Hmm. And that you walk in Christ too. Is it possible tomorrow to live as holy and blameless? I believe it is. Let's make it an experiment. Let's try tomorrow and let's just see what happens.